Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. back everybody episode 51 of the drunken Taoist podcast here we are again an really incredible surprising so glad we got him interview today that i can't wait to share with you guys but before that let me introduce daniele bolelli and we start with saying thank you to the people who keep us on the air yeah so that's susara for all the hemp gear that your heart may desire uh, computer bags, backpacks, um, belts, gear, I think I saw on the internet. belts, pants, you name it. Check out their website. Beautiful stuff. And uh, like we told our sponsor, discount codes are in the episode notes. So if you plan on ordering from them, use the discount codes and it's better for you. Speaking of sponsors, onnit.com with the trifecta of uh, supplements super cool weird healthy foods and workout gear uh, that ranges from we're not talking your grandpa dumbbells we're talking about battle ropes iron maces the strangest things you'll ever try that surprisingly work really freaking good for working out and for spicing things up on top of it on it has some uh, videos that show you how to build workout routines around some of these products so that's always good to check out it's funny i saw like men's health or one of those had a list of the eight best exercises mm-hmm. of course push-ups are number one as always but three different ones involved kettlebells yeah 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 of course they have a whole beautiful line of kettlebells there's there's a lot of good stuff at on it so take your time to explore the website because even if you don't like 50 percent of their products that's still 50% that's really good for you. So, And 50%, if you don't like 50% of their products, you are a real critical, tough person. Yeah. But seriously, you're going to run into a lot of good stuff in there. So check it out. And as usual, discount codes in the episode notes. And then, then, then the sure design for both our own T-shirts that sure design did for us with the both in the original logo drunken taoist version and the dionysian parade version and just sure design their own shirts are beautiful and i love them the website is constantly changing they're putting new designs out all the time uh t-shirts long dresses for ladies uh, a whole range of products that are great so we are lucky to have all of these 
very very nice people helping us out and be sure to tell bennett hi when you order some stuff this week of course i had a in-depth conversation with bennett about the meaning of life and uh, how to handle living in an impermanent world and everything else so bennett is great i love him uh other thing of course if you guys shop on amazon please use our amazon link that help us keep us in business and uh, other things we need to throw at the top oh one definitely Taoist lecture series i've mentioned it for a couple of episodes now but after talking about it for 72 million months we finally put it together it's out so um, there's a link in the episode notes that way you can order it and um, start listening it's over seven hours worth of material about Taoism so those of you guys who have been asking for it it's there now Shall we get rolling with our interview? It's time. Let's make it happen. Okay, guys, ready to roll. Um, Today, I guess I'm very excited about... Jank, Jank Huger here. Welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Jank is a guy that those of you guys who are not familiar, first you should feel very bad about yourself and be ashamed and just go do your <laughs> homework. Second, at least at the bare minimum, start checking out the Young Turks, start checking out the podcast that he has appeared on. He uh, was recently on uh, Jerogan Experience. He has been on Dan Carlin's Common Sense. I would imagine that a whole lot of our listeners have already checked both of those podcasts. But again, it's your homework. If you haven't, go and do it. And uh, again, I don't want to, for the sake of not giving people the same thing over and over, I don't want to go too much in the same direction. But of course, some of the things about who you are and what you do and the key things are, we are going to bring them up and we jump into that. And then we'll try to stir the conversation in a different direction. Sounds one, lovely. One thing that's um, one thing that's safe to say about you is that you're not a guy who's lacking ambition. You know, <laughs> starting with the fact that it is a man who created his own network out mm-hmm. of you know his living room. Went on to say, "I don't like how media works. I'm going to create your own network." And as we're going to be talking about, also decided mm, the American political process kind of sucks. I think I'm going to change it all. So. Jank, you have uh, you kind of set the bar a little high for yourself. Why not? Uh, what's the point of setting it low? I love that. <laughs> right. So uh, here's the only uh, people that can uh, bring about great change: the ones that try. Right. So if you're not trying to bring great change, of course you're not going to bring it. So yeah, no. We our goals at, at the Young Turks are to change the media and change the government. I love it. There was a great Alan Watts line that said, if not you, if not now, who and when? You know, yeah, it's like- absolutely. So our plan for the Young Turks is to become uh, the largest uh, news network, period. Mm-hmm. Right. So right now we're the largest news network online. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd like to beat CNN on all platforms. And and uh, But other than just our personal success, uh, the point is to get them to copy us. Because mm-hmm. in media, uh, one thing that's maddening is that they always, like, they, they there's no, nothing original, right? Mm-hmm. You know, ants comes out and then bugs comes out like a day later, right? right. And, it, it, and it goes on and on, you know? You got the two Twister movies at the same time, the two movies to take down the White House at the same time. 
right? Because it's not an original thought in the whole industry. Right. So, but we thought, well, good. Well, let's flip that on its head. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, the news media sucks. Uh, They cater to power. Uh, All they care about is access. They cater to corporations and... And so everybody's, oh, the honorable gentleman from Nebraska, the honorable gentleman from uh, Connecticut, uh, and 96% of Americans think our money corrupts politics. Mm-hmm. But CNN and all the other pundits never, ever, ever talk about it because they're the ones being corrupted. All the money in politics goes to television ads, mm-hmm. right? That's why in television they tell you that your government is lovely. Despite the fact that all of the media tells you your government is lovely, we still hate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Congress's latest approval rating has gone up, to be fair, to 12%. <laughs> We're going um, up. Yes, that's right. We are literally the second most unpopular government in the world. And I don't mean worldwide. I mean internally. So the Bosnians rate their government at 8%. Okay. And we're at 12%. And then the next closest one is at 13%. Okay, I think there's a room to make it to the gold. The Bosnians <laughs> have their work cut out for them. There's just I think we could take out down the Bosnians. A little harder, and it can be done. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so our idea is well, okay, let's create a revolution by being honest with the audience, mm-hmm. saying your instinct is right. The politicians are corrupt. They take the donations, they take the lobbyist money, and then they do their bidding. Of course, of course they do. You know it. We know it. Everybody knows it except the people giving you the news. Right. So why don't we give you the news in an honest way? And that is why we've gotten 2 billion views online. Right. And that's why, you know, we do 75. Now we're up to nearly 80 million views a month, right, on the network. And so what's going to happen eventually, and it's actually in the middle of happening now, is that the big guys come around and they go, well, so how are you getting all those views, right? right? Partly because they feel if you can't beat them, join them, right? Sure. So there's those conversations. But then the other part of it is they think like, okay, we're going to find out the secret answer and then we'll dump these guys and we'll just replicate it. I'm like, okay, great. I, I don't mind. I'll tell you the secret answer right now. Be honest with your audience. Right. And they're like, well, I mean, can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, then I'll keep kicking your ass. And the thing is, even if they tried you have to be a certain kind of person. You just can't, uh, oh, I'm going to follow the formula and uh, what does Jank do? Okay, I'm going to do the same. I'll take step A, step B, step C, and I'm just going to throw some fuck you about the government and then everybody's going to love me. If it's not who you are, it comes across as fake. It's not genuine and people are not going to dig it because you're lying. Even when you're supposed to be honest, you're lying. You're not yeah. really being honest in that case. Well, see, they're at a monumental disadvantage because um, they don't have anybody in the building that's used to doing what we do, mm-hmm. right? So there, if you think about it, on television, uh, all, they're almost all news actors, not yeah. news anchors, right? Like literally, they right. they don't write the scripts that they read. They're all mm-hmm. scripts, just like an actor would get a script. It's in the teleprompter. Wolf Blitzer, my guess is, I've never worked with Wolf, but based on everything I know, has never written a script in his life. And right. so like an actor, he'll get his lines and he'll read his lines. And they are taught and then promoted based on the idea of you're supposed to be neutral Mm -hmm. and not have any opinion on any of the news. The only way you don't have an opinion on any of the news is if you don't care. Yeah, exactly. So they hired the blandest people in America to simply read the blandest news in America, and then they wonder why they're getting mauled online. The only reason why they didn't get mauled in the beginning in television is because there were no other choices. Right, of course. 
No, and that's the thing because what you're saying, which is this keeping up this pretense of being objective when nobody's really fully objective. You can be honest about your bias, but everybody has a bias. That's just the nature. If you have opinion, if you're alive, you have you have bias. That's how it goes, and that's fine. But this idea that you're not supposed to show it, not supposed to admit it, keep it hidden, and all of that. It exists in journalism, exists in academia, where whatever subject you touch, you're supposed to be, no, I'm just an observer of the subject. I don't care. It's like, don't give me this bullshit. You know, you are going to have opinions like anybody. Just be honest about it. Acknowledge the other side. Look at it. And it seems so damn hard for these guys. It seems so... What do you think is about this necessity that they feel to keep up an image that's not who they are and everybody knows that's not who they are because that's not how anybody is why do it what do you think is the psychological motivation there so there are two things there first of all if only they were trying to be objective it actually wouldn't be as bad it's Mm -hmm. also undoable for the reasons that you stated uh, but it's a worthy effort in some ways. But they're not. They're right. actually trying to be neutral, which mm-hmm. is entirely different. So, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So objective is the Steelers and the Cowboys played, yeah. and the Steelers won 42-21, right? Neutral is the Steelers say they won, and the Cowboys say they won, <laughs> right? And right. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you the score. i got to be neutral because I wouldn't want to offend uh, the Cowboys because right. they say I have a well-known Pittsburgh bias, right? right? Okay, What's the goddamn score, right? <laughs> So and then of course when you tell the mainstream journalists this they're like oh that's entirely unfair it's not like sports where there's an actual score but if there's a score like an election well, of course we'll say oh thank you you're so merciful for telling me who won the election no there are there are almost always is a score for example uh, 69% of Americans when we went to war in Iraq thought that Saddam Hussein had personally done 9/11 mm-hmm. well that's a gigantic enormous failure of the media yeah because uh, there's a objective fact there mm-hmm. right and it Saddam Hussein did not do 9-11 that is a fact right right but the American media felt it would be biased to say that because the Republicans were saying Saddam Hussein and 9-11 in the same sentence it would have been anti-Republican and they would have vociferously complained oh you guys are biased I can't believe this no you oh, you you're such liberals and you hate the Republicans and yada yada so they just shut up and let Americans think that uh, Saddam did it because Bush kept saying it in the same sentence as 9/11 right so no do your goddamn job mm-hmm. okay that's point number one and then number two as to why they don't want to do it the question that you asked mm-hmm. it's because it would ruffle feathers mm-hmm. and uh, if you want to uh, do well in the corporate media, you do not ruffle feathers, right. okay? Because if you ruffle feathers, it's going to cost somebody money. And once you cost somebody money, you're going to wind up in a closet. Mm-hmm. So my favorite story is about Ashley Banfield. She gives a speech right in the beginning of the Iraq War uh, in Kansas, and it tells you, hey, you know, there are people at the uh, that are at the business end of our bombs. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not seeing it, but those bombs actually explode and then people explode with them, right? right? And it was a really powerful speech. And at the time, if you remember, she was a huge rising star, Ashley Banfield with the glasses Mm -hmm. and everybody was talking about her and she was the it girl. She comes back from the speech and they're like, you're done. You're off the air. Not only are you off the air, she goes, oh, okay, then, you know, she's at that point of kind of a rising star. She's like, great, so let me out of my contract. I'll just go somewhere else. They're like, no, we will not let you out of your contract so you cannot appear on air anywhere. Wow. And your desk that was out front and center, we moved it. We And they literally moved it into a closet. 
Wow. Isn't, isn't that amazing? The imagery of that? Yeah. So they stuffed her into what was a closet. They said, this is your new desk. Okay. And you're not allowed to work for anybody else. You're never to allowed to go back on camera and you're done. Okay. Wow. Now, look, there's a hundred different ways that you make money from the Iraq war. And there's, and it's not, it's not like a conspiracy. It's not an easy answer. Like there was only one reason we sure. went to Iraq. There was a number of reasons of we went into Iraq. Helicopters but. and oil. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but you know, uh, Sam Harris and I had just had a long discussion, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. And you know, he loves to say, "Well, look at the face of it. If the Islamic jihadists are saying that they're doing it because of Islam, we'll mm-hmm. believe them, right? Look at the face of it, right? So look at the face of Iraq." Uh, Dick Cheney, oh, as he's leaving Halliburton to go become vice president of the United States, gets a $34 million exit package. Right. When's the last time you left a company and the company said, hey, thanks a lot. Here's $34 million for leaving. Okay. And then Halliburton's stock price during the Iraq war goes up fivefold. Oh, but fivefold. Why are you reaching for coincidences there? <laughs> yeah. You know, you clearly. The, when I was a lawyer, there was a term for this. Uh, it's prima facie evidence. Right. On face alone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, now look, again, that's not the only factor. Sure. But if you think that wasn't a factor, you just don't know how the world works. Of course. Of course. Right. Well, definitely. Well, the madness is all that. Anyway, I mean, Dick Clark will tell you that the night of 9-11, they had maps of Iraq out in the ready room at the White House. This was their moment. Mm-hmm. Constructed or not, that could go either way. But this was the moment where they were going to be able to unleash this plan. And I'm sure you've seen the list of oil companies that were all ready to roll right in and take care of everything. And off they went. And nobody listens. That's the thing that makes me crazy. I mean, we're at the edge of something that has been, I think, mm-hmm. crafted over the past 30 years to fuck the middle class and destroy the society. And if we don't act on it now, which you guys clearly are, it may actually be too late. So, of course, that's what we're predominantly worried about. And so, why why doesn't the news media talk about that? Because at the time, during the Iraq War, uh, GE owned NBC and MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Ashley Banfield, for example, worked at MSNBC. So did Phil Donahue, who was also fired. So did Jesse Ventura, who was also told that his new show would not go on the air once they found out that he was against the Iraq War. Right. GE is one of the largest defense contractors uh, in the country, right? And... Again, there are a number of other factors. It's Even if you're not a defense contractor that owns a media company, you're ABC, you're CBS, whatever it might be, right? Look, you're going to want to do a merger at some point, mm-hmm. and you're going to need the government's approval, right? Uh, or you just know Hadassah Lieberman from the cocktail circuit, and you know uh, you know Senator Ben Nelson from the cocktail. And you, these are good, honorable gentlemen. I know them. I had hors d'oeuvres with them yesterday. They don't have bad intent right. because it's really hard to escape that bubble, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody in that class, and honestly, they're the elites. That's who they are, right? They... In fact, I was in that circle when I worked at MSNBC, mm-hmm. and I literally I went to the power breakfast, and you would see, uh, you would see John Bolton and T- Senator Coburn, and then you would see all the MSNBC anchors and ABC anchors and the media and the politicians all literally in the same room, all hobnobbing, all greeting each other, giving each other nods at at their power breakfast. They're in the same club. It's not, that's the whole, that's why I say like this whole thing of, it's not Republicans versus Democrats. It's Republicans and Democrats and the corporate media versus us. Absolutely. And that's part of the kind of the whole problem with the political system is that there are no real choices. I mean, that, you know, it's like you get 
this darker shade of uh, whatever color or this slightly light it's like it's the same game at the end of the thing and that's why that's why i like what you guys are doing for on a media level on a political level on every level which is basically if you want to take it out from any one specific field what you guys are doing is giving a giant middle finger to the establishment in a more general sense not purely a political establishment but the very idea of the establishment because i mean what does the establishment do the establishment replicates itself it leaves to just constantly sort of alien like just to plant the next generation keep it going the same way you're never gonna find novelty not no revolutionary thought is ever born within a establishment institution that's just not how it works you'll find dust you'll find decay you're not gonna find novelty that's for sure and what you are doing what you started doing on a media level already a long time ago, what you're doing right now is a political level, is not even trying to play the rules of the establishment. But like, I'm going to get in and try to change it from the inside. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, that well, would, I tried that. It didn't and, work. And I know, exactly. <laughs> but, and in fact, it, it's a normal thought to have. It's like, well, that's the game, so I have to learn to play the game, and then I can change it. And it never works that way, you know. So once you get... You guys, I don't know if you've ever watched Star Trek, but mm-hmm. uh, the establishment is the Borg, right? right? And they say resistance is futile. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I, I think there's an answer to every question, right? And so you, if you work hard enough and you probe their defenses enough, there's always a way to get through the defenses. Mm-hmm. And so it's a perfectly logical uh, method to try to go inside and see if you could do it that way. But once I was inside at MSNBC, they literally gave me a speech about how they are the establishment. And they are insiders. Those are that's word for word, right? <laughs> and so I realized at that point, I'm not going to be able to change this entire building right. from the inside. And because I thought there was some chance that if you get good ratings, that you accrue power, and through <laughs> that power, you might be able to right. sway things, right? What um, a good ratings get you? Just more Exxon commercial? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I got the top ratings they ever got at six o'clock in the last quarter that I was there. And it got me uh, a new job on the weekends instead of prime time, <laughs> okay? Because uh, I didn't get the ratings in the right way, right? Well done, and- Mr. Dollar, to the weekend with you. <laughs> right, exactly. And so once I came, I realized, no, no, if I stay here long enough, it's not that I'm going to uncorrupt them. It's that they are going to corrupt mm-hmm. me. And so I got to get out of this building as quickly as I can. And we'll detonate it from the outside. Right. <laughs> Isn't it terrifying, though, how they are? I mean, MSNBC is the liberal voice for the, you know, mm-hmm. wider range of, of offerings. But it's still, like, it's shadowed with more bullshit than ever. Mm-hmm. That they're just doing the opposite of what Fox is. Yeah, they just don't nice get it. With a nice smile on your face. I yeah. Mean, I've always felt we have to figure out who this center of the country is mm-hmm. because these are reasonable folks they may not agree on abortion they may not agree on these big swing issues but the f- most part they want people to have jobs they want people to be able to do well and they're tired of the rich people fucking everybody mm-hmm. that's got to be a 50 percent chunk down the middle that we could finally get if they would get off their asses to do something and help change this place because i am completely convinced that it is like two years away from if we get a Mitt Romney in in two years, we may just be more fucked. You know, if if he could place two more um, judges on the Supreme Court that are wildly John Roberts radical, we're fucked. Yeah. So two things about that. One, uh, I think Glenn Greenwald uh, frames it right. He says, "Look, they give you a, a set of acceptable choices, right? But 
you know, I'll take that one step further. It's the same thing that they do in Iran and what they're doing in China right now in regards to Hong Kong. They say they say to Hong Kong, oh, you have a democracy. Now, here are the two guys you get to pick from, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And in Iran, the mullahs will disqualify you uh, from the elections if they don't like you. So right. here are your acceptable choices, right? And so in America, we don't have mullahs and we don't have a Politburo or, or communist leadership. What we do have is the rich donors. Mm -hmm. So just yesterday I did a, a, talked about an article where Karl Rove did a last-minute plea in the Wall Street Journal and got 21 billionaires to give $20 million in the last week, okay? And then at the end of the article on Huffington Post, which is a good description of what happened, right, they explain earnestly that, uh, well, now the Republicans have taken the lead in, in spending money in politics because... Uh, the Democrats have only 11 billionaires on their side and the Republicans have 25 billionaires on their side. I mean, this is what our democracy has devolved into. 25 to 11. Exactly. Right. So it is, those billionaires are our new Politburo. Mm -hmm. They're our mullahs. They're the ones who get to tell us what the acceptable choices are. Yep. So right now, that's why Hillary Clinton is put forward as the only acceptable choice on the Democratic side, because she has already gone to the bankers, literally, and collect, not only collected her paycheck, $400,000 from Goldman Sachs alone, but told them while collecting that paycheck in the speech she gave, uh, you guys are unfairly maligned. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, if I get into power, right. the bankers will be in charge. Oh, really? Thank you, Hillary. Wow. We really appreciate it, okay? Yeah. So, so, and, and that's why the, the bankers were the number one donors to Barack Obama They were in mm -hmm. 2008. They were the top category. And they apparently knew something we didn't know, right? So they, and they didn't back Obama by accident. Sure. They thought, beautiful, change on the outside, continuity on the inside, Okay. This guy's going to give him a feeling of change, right. emotions of change, a look of change, but the, but we're still in charge. Yep. Right? And an awesome outsider as your Secretary of Treasury. I mean, that was really well executed. Yeah. We, we knew we were fucked right then. Yeah. I mean... No, no. Tim Geithner yeah. is the, the ultimate insider. Uh, I mean, the he is literally the tool of the establishment. Okay? He's a tool in both senses of the word. <laughs> and... Uh, and and as soon as he picked his team, we're, we we realized like, we were done for. Done, right? Right. Do you, when it comes to elections, do you go for the? Oh well, shit, this is. Let's pick the lesser of two evil just because I have to. Or yes, yeah, you you still feel yes, like, I, I mean, do, and I think that's important. So let me explain that. So I get a lot of grief for having voted for Obama in mm -hmm. 2012, not necessarily in 2008, you sure. know, but uh, but in 2012. So. Here's why I do it. I think 90% of the ballgame is changing the system. We have devoted our life, our company, everything we do to changing the system. Right. And then I think 9% uh, of the ballgame is primaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. So by the time you get to the general election, it, it's already too late. Right. right. Then you get the Hillary Clinton versus Mitt Romney and you're yeah. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Yep. So by God, work for Elizabeth Warren or Alan Grayson or Larry Lessig or someone, someone, a real progressive. That's why at the Young Turks we put together the progressive presidential primary. Mm -hmm. Right. If you go to tytnetwork.com slash petitions, we have started petitions for all these people. Right. Because we don't wait around for the general election, sure. right? Now, once you've done all that hard work and you've done and and you uh, are on election day, it doesn't mean you shouldn't participate. Sure. It, it still makes a difference. So, like, so Obama has been a massive disappointment. 
Having said that, would I rather had McCain in, who almost certainly would have attacked Iran? No. Right. No, no way, right? Would I rather had Romney in, mm-hmm. who is, I mean, it's a caricature of, yeah. <laughs> the elites got tired of putting a pretty face on it, and they're like, let's just take one of our own and put him in and be done with it, right? <laughs> right. So yeah, I voted for Obama. If I thought that uh, Rocky Anderson had a real chance, I love Rocky Anderson. He ran it under the Justice Party. If I thought he had a real chance, I'd have voted for Rocky Anderson. Of course. But I'm also a realist. You have, if you're going to change the system, you can't just be an idealist. You have to be ruthlessly practical. That's one of the things that I love about your approach, and I want to talk more about it, both in journalism and in politics, is that you don't uh, you don't paint it too rosy. You don't try to have this optimistic, oh, it's all for the best. You paint it in very bland terms, but at the same time, you don't do the things that most people who paint it in bland terms do, which is the, it all sucks, it's terrible, nothing's ever going to... You know, which is self-defeatist. It's like, what's yep. the point? You, yeah, you're smart. You have a good analysis of the situation. Now what? If you're not going to do something with it, then fuck it. Why? You manage to be a realistic optimist, which is one of those beautiful paradoxes that I dig, because that's ultimately exactly what you need. If you're not realistic, well, you're not in this game. And if you're not optimistic, why even try? Because nothing's going to come out. Well, there's a second reason why I'm a realistic optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because it, it is factually based. It is mm-hmm. correct. Okay, it is correct. If you want change, that's the only way to get change. And number two, uh, because you can get change. Mm-hmm. So here, here's what I mean. Uh, over the last 200 years on the planet, uh, life expectancy has doubled. Mm-hmm. Doubled. Okay. So we have done an amazing job of getting humanity to a much better place. There's still a million things wrong, but in terms of like, just look at World War II. I mean, the atrocities were the worst atrocities that human beings have ever seen on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just the Nazis and the Holocaust and all that. We firebombed Dresden and Tokyo. We burned their citizens alive. Robert McNamara, who's in charge of the firebombing of Tokyo, Mm -hmm. who later, of course, got famous during Vietnam, but was also involved in World War II, said if we had lost, we obviously would have been brought up on war crimes. Of course. And we would have been Nuremberg. Yep. He said that, the guy in charge of the bombings, right? <laughs> and of course, we're the only ones who've ever dropped a nuclear bomb. And we did it a little gratuitously twice, right? right? So you can argue about whether it was sure. gratuitous or not. And you can argue whether the fire bombings were worse or the nuclear bomb was worse. So now from that, we have gotten to a point where we at least criticize our governments for civilian deaths. And right. the civilian deaths are tragic and horrific, but not anywhere near the level of what they used to be in the past. I know. That's the thing. Is like in the past, you aim for civilians. Now you have to say sorry when you hit them. Now, <laughs> if you're right. the one with hit, I doubt that makes a difference because you're still the one who's but on a mac. That's right. But on a macro level, it makes a it, giant difference. It does. Big one. So being an optimist is not being Pollyannish. Mm-hmm. It's being realistic. That right. it, it, We have gotten good results mm-hmm. and we can continue to improve and continue to get better results. So now, on the other hand, of course, sometimes you regress and in terms of democracy we have massively regressed Mm -hmm. in this country people think we never had it that's not true that's not true between 1940 and 1980 we at least on the domestic level pretty much had a democracy Hmm. and so you will look at any economic chart in america about america and you will see that productivity goes up during that time but wages go up at the same exact rate Hmm. okay then in 1980, after the two incredibly important Supreme Court decisions where they said corporations can give money to politicians, yep. 
and then Ronald Reagan comes in. Those three things, boom, we're done. Yep. Then all the charts, any economic chart you will see from now on for the rest of your life, you will notice whenever you look at an economic chart of what happened in any degree in, in the United States, you'll mm-hmm. see that it diver- the great divergence begins around 1978 to 1980. And that's when the productivity is still sky high, but your wages flatline right. and corporate profits soar. They took that trillions of dollars in the middle mm-hmm. and they put it in their pockets. And with it, they bought our government because yep. they were allowed to buy our government, yep. right? So, But that also is a sign for optimism. Why? Because that means we can undo that. Once you find out what the initial problem was, mm-hmm. and the initial problem was those Supreme Court Supreme decisions, Court, of course. not the Citizens United, which put it on steroids and which yeah. was terrible, and McCutcheon put it on further steroids, etc. But it was Buckley v. Vallejo that said money is speech, and it was Bellotti that said corporations have speech rights. Yep. And Ralph Nader, I once had a t- talk with him, and he, I said, what happened? I mean, look, remember the 1970s, Ralph Nader's Nader's Raiders are running roughshod. They run in the country. Right. Like, it seems comical now. Ralph Nader, get out of here. No, no. Ralph Nader got Richard Nixon to start the EPA. Right. Seatbelts, OSHA, EPA saved millions of lives, right? And Nixon was like, Nader's too strong. I got to do whatever he tells me to do. That's the world we lived in when consumers and citizens were so strong that even like the heart of Nixon, darkness, right. Nixon did whatever we told him to do, yeah. right? So if it turns out that I am right and the problem was money and politics created by the Supreme Court, well, there is a fix to that. Mm-hmm. So you just fix the code. So a virus got into the system. You rewrite the code to get the virus out. And that's what the founding fathers wanted. That's why the Constitution is the greatest document known to man. Because it said you have to perfect this union. You cannot just leave it be. Mm -hmm. You must do amendments going forward. Right? And they gave you two ways to do it. One is through Congress. And then they said, hey, Article 5 of the Constitution says... At some point, Congress will get so corrupt yep. that you can't do it through Congress, and you're going to have to amend the system and rewrite the code through, at the state level. Right. Which is just the every time I read the history of the Founding Fathers, the Federalist Papers, and the Constitution, I'm blown away by what how lucky the world got that that group of geniuses got together, right? So Article 5 is they put into the Constitution. It has not been used yet, but we're going to use it in this case. It's basically... Break glass in case of emergency. Right. Okay. <laughs> and it says you can call for a convention at the state level, huh? and then you'll uh, propose a specific amendment. Okay. You can't redo a constitutional sure. convention. It is for a specific amendment. Okay. And then uh, you don't need Washington at all. They never vote. Right. So c- screw the honorable gentlemen from Nebraska and Hawaii and all those places. They're not honorable. They're never going to be honorable. They're never going to give you the amendment. Why would they fix something? Of course. Because this is the system that got them the power, right? They're not going to fix it. They don't think it's broken. No, definitely. <laughs> no, that's a, and that's what I love is that you're thinking both in the way you approach in journalism, how you just, and in fact, maybe later I'm going to ask you how you went about it, but you decided, screw it. I'm not playing the regular game. I'm going to create my own network, which is a wild thought in itself. And in this case, you're finding a way, probably the only way there is within the political options to bypass the Supreme Court, to bypass Congress, to bypass all the regular election, to bypass what we normally think of as the political system and find a way to get to it through the back door and make it work anyway, Right. which is brilliant. And I love it. So tell us a little bit about the Wolfpack and how you're planning to achieve this, because essentially you're looking at what has 
contributed dramatically to the corrupting influence of money in politics and has made any change pretty much impossible today. That's why we get the cho- choices we get. Right. And you get, you know, one representative of the establishment or the other guy. The guy was driving the train toward destruction at 90 miles an hour or the guy was driving the train, train toward discussion at 60 miles an hour. It's like, well, I'll take the 60, but, you know, it doesn't make a huge difference. And, right. Right. And so you how do you you know what exactly what are the steps that you're proposing? Right. So Wolfpack is the group that uh we started to get the constitutional amendment to get money out of mm-hmm. politics to fix the the system, right? And I'd been saying on the show for a long time that I was going to start a group uh and I kept talking about this group that I was going to start and people kept wondering like, "Hey, what when is that going to come?" Like I'd give speeches about it and they'd get excited and then it we would pause and we would wait. And so the reason that we did that is because I took about two years to study the issue. Mm-hmm. To I went to uh, the Occupy uh, movement. I went to constitutional law professors. I went to constitutional convention conferences. I went all over the country to talk to uh, people for on the ground, people in the ivory towers, to talk to every expert there was to figure out what was the root of the problem and what is the best and most efficient way to fix the problem, right? And so actually in the beginning, we we're almost gonna launch with almost an identical plan to Mayday Pact that Larry Lessig launched recently, mm-hmm. right? And the idea was, well, look, if there's the problem is money in politics, why don't we raise money and threaten the politicians just the same way that the NRA does and powerful lobbies sure. do and use the Achilles heel of the system Against itself, of right? Course. So that's why I love Mayday Pack. I think it's a great idea. Um, but I, I realized uh, right before we launched that, that there was a, a number of issues where I thought that that's I was worried it wasn't going to get the job done. I'll tell you why. And I'm not saying it against Mayday Pack. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing terrific, terrific work. This uh, I love that group. Um, it's that the the virus has taken over the body politics so completely that I wasn't convinced we could do it quickly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so you replace a politician with a good politician, you got about 18 months before he gets corrupted, right? And then you got to do it again, you got to do it again, you got to do it again. Right. And there's just too much, there's a wall of money on the other side and it's, it's going to flood your guys, right? And so you're sending this little canoe up uh, up this river and, and there's an armada coming the other way, yeah. right? So I then came to the conclusion that no, the only way to fix it is to fix the the document, yep. the actual code itself, which has led me to the idea of the amendment. Right. And then once you start, when you, once you realize, no, the only thing above the Supreme Court, only thing above Congress is the Constitution. So you have to go to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Then you come to the natural conclusion that you can't do it through Congress. Congress right now won't even pass the Disclose Act, which right. says, go ahead and keep taking your bribes. Just tell us who's bribing you. Yeah. Right? They're like, nice. no way. Right? <laughs> no way. That's the easy Supreme Court and Citizens United said you should do that. Right. In Citizens United, they said you should reveal your donors. And Congress was like, oh, good one. <laughs> Justice Kennedy, what a softie. No. No, we're not going to do that. Right? So... Of course you can't do it through Congress, but thank right. God for Article 5. So you can do it another way. Now, so then, of course, once we start a Wolf Pack, and by the way, the website is wolf-pack.com, okay? Wolf-pac.com. So 
Once we started, of course, you get, oh, it's unrealistic. Who do you guys think you are? And you don't have any money. And how are you going to do this? And we started out with like nothing. Young Turks threw some money in and that was it, right? And we did matching donations and our listeners put money in. And so, I mean, it's a laughable amount that we started with, right? Of course. And then we went and we've been, we, had it introduced in our resolution introduced in 10 different states and people are like oh that's kind of interesting i mean getting it introduced it's just the first step but okay we're Something. taking note right yep. got introduced in texas and some republicans started backing it I'm like whoa why are republicans backing it because they hate bloomberg money hmm. okay they don't even like uh carl rove's money because hmm. carl rove often comes in with his like establishment guys and the local guys in texas are like who the hell are you to tell me how to run my republican party right sometimes they don't even like coke money because cokes come in and say you will do exactly what we tell you or otherwise we will destroy you right so all of a sudden they were like mm, okay we're listening right and then we went to Vermont uh, to try to get our first resolution passed and a friendly person there told us before the vote look I love you guys I want you to succeed uh, I think your chances are zero percent okay a real fan <laughs> <laughs> and they meant well they sure and she but. literally said hey you might want to go to New Hampshire or a different state where you might have a better chance there's a couple of institutional players here who will block this who have always blocked the idea of a convention and right. they will block it I know it for a fact right yeah. and so uh, our guys that were in there our, our a team uh, thought about like literally following her advice and maybe going to New Hampshire or another state. And they're like, well, we're already here. Might as let's, well play. Let's yeah. roll up our sleeves. Let's give it our best shot. And what we did was we had people call in to the congressman, local state leaders districts, mm -hmm. not to them because that's not fair because they don't live in Vermont. Right. But we had them call the people who did live in Vermont and say, Hey, can you reach out to your representatives? Now that's really hard. Right. But what else do we have to do? Yeah, not <laughs> okay. much, right? I mean, you know what's really hard? Grabbing a gun and going fight, right? You yeah. risk your life. Yeah. If you and a lot of people do that, you can't pick up a phone, right? right? In the civil rights movement, I mean, those kids sitting at that counter and having them throw cigarette butts in their face and pour coffee over them, yeah. and people walking over a bridge getting their, you know, skulls cracked. That was hard. Picking up a phone, relatively easy yeah. by comparison. So our guys, we went to work. That's why we call it Wolfpack, right? We sent in the Wolfpack. We called everybody we could in Vermont. And we reached, out, uh, as it turns out, the critical player was a pastor, well-known mm -hmm. pastor in Vermont, who was very active in politics and said, oh, I know that guy. Let me go talk to him. He's a good guy. He convinced We convinced him. He convinced the state legislator. Changed his mind. Wow. And then he came in and supported the resolution, went from totally opposing to totally. And that's the beauty of democracy. That's supposed to, at, wow. on the state level, it still exists. And, it, and when you see democracy work, it is so magical. And then you get so sad that we've lost it completely at the mm -hmm. national level. When's the last time a national politician was convinced of anything if you didn't bring a paycheck with yeah, you? If you didn't exactly. bring a check to say, okay, here's how I'm going to convince you. Here's $100,000 for your campaign, yeah. right? So, and then all of a sudden the dominoes fell. And, and what happens once you start this process is 
impossible turns to inevitable so quickly mm -hmm. because 96% of the people are on our side. Right. So once it's introduced, you're really going to vote against 96% of the people? Republicans, libertarians, Democrats, liberals, they all think money corrupts politics, right? It's, right. So by the time it actually came up for the in the state Senate, I think we won 25-2 in mm -hmm. Vermont. 0% chance turned wow. into 25-2. So Vermont, we already put on the board. And then they said, yeah, but that's a small state. You can't get big states. Big states are much harder because their politicians represent more people. You're going to need more money, more resources. So the second state we put up on the board was California, largest state in the union, right? And uh, so we already got two on the board. Now our uh, resolution is not introduced in 10 states. It's introduced in over 20 states, almost 30 states. We're coming, okay? Wow. So I'm not interested in regular politics where the Democrats play patty cakes and sure. they're playing defense and stuff. No, we play offense. Right. So if you join us, we put you to work. But the guy uh, in California said it best. He said, look, I, I got so angry that all the things that are going wrong. And then you told me on the Young Turks that there was a chance we could fix it. And he said, the first time I gave 20 bucks, that's what I had. So I gave sure. 20 bucks. He's like, I felt so good. I felt like, hey, you know, at least I did something, yep. right? Yep. And he's like, and then I wondered, if I volunteer, will I feel even better? <laughs> okay. And when we, again, there were legislators that were blocking our progress in California. It's never easy, right? And we flipped them again. again right. every, we do it every time, right? And when we flipped them, and we, we, there we do have some magic answers as to how we do that, right? But that's trade secrets, right? But, <laughs> but carrots and sticks, Herxos. baby. Yeah. Yeah, carrots and sticks. We believe in both carrots, and we definitely believe in sticks, too. So and the, when we flipped the legislature, legislator in California, that same guy and the state leader said, oh, it feels so good to get the power back, Right. <laughs> And when you feel that rush, like, hey, it turns out I do run this government, right? right? I have the power. Yep. That's what it was built for. Mm -hmm. That feels phenomenal. So that's why we've got over 10,000 volunteers at wolf-pack.com, and, uh, and we're off and running. We're coming for it. And well, that's beautiful. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, when you look at it, you know, district by district, even on a national level, to get a seat in the House, it's only 92 to 102,000 votes, Yep. For the most part, you know, because yep. it is split into kind of 1.2 million uh, size chunks. And it seems to me, if you could wake people up the way you're talking about, especially before they shut the internet off on us, you could build a write-in candidacy in every district, if people really meant it, that could give us a clean slate in 2016. Can you imagine a brand new Congress ready to represent the people for once? Well, yeah. to some degree, you almost don't even... Like, if you change at that level where you change the money in politics issue, you by default, you create that situation because nobody who runs can run based on money because the money is taken out of the entire system, which is which is absolute genius. It's but exactly I still would rather whoever the random night manager at the Trader Joe's around the corner, regardless of their a mm -hmm. guy who is, if we're going to pay the, the health insurance this month, or we're going to pay the electric bill. Somebody like that to be representing our country would change everything so quickly. The first 100 days would be blinding to how much it would help. I mean, why the fuck did we not pass 10 stimulus packages when nobody had a job six years ago? It was the easiest thing ever. We should have had new sewers, new highways, national parks fixed. Oh, fuck, we spent a trillion dollars on our own country. How dare we? Right. It's madness. So one quick example of what you're talking about is in Maine, they have public financing. And... I met a legislator up in Maine who works a cash register. She doesn't own the store. She doesn't mm -hmm. own the cash register. She works. She's a she, right. 
And so she knows a lot of her constituents because they come through the same grocery store where she runs the cash register. She won with $250. Okay, $250, that's it. Not $250,000, just $250, right? Because they have public financing. It turns out that when you take the money out of politics and you present a playing field, a level playing field, they go, why would I vote for that billionaire jerk off or whoever he is? Of course. I know Sally at the cash register. I know she's a sweet girl and she lives right down the block from me. They vote for her. And you know what she does? He's a lion for them. She fights for them every day because she is them. That's what democracy is supposed to be. And that's the difference now. How would the the plan of the Wolfpack, in terms of taking money out of politics, how would you go about it? Public, full public financing of the election or any other strategy? Mm. Yeah, there's two uh, principal parts of the amendment that we're pushing for. Uh, one is complete public financing of every single election. Sure. Okay, no ands, ifs, or buts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, some you know like the number one concern with that is because of an enormous amount of propaganda that have been put on the other side is oh man we're gonna pay the politicians that's bullshit right first of all you already do pay the politicians it just they just don't work for you right second of all if you're talking about campaigns putting money into their campaigns well either you're gonna put it in and they're gonna work for you or somebody else is gonna put in the money and they're gonna work for them absolutely okay so a tiny amount put into public financing would get you a hundredfold, a thousandfold return because instead of giving away the trillions of dollars in wars we don't need, instead of making submarines and sure. and planes that we don't need for billions upon billions of dollars, we would save all of that money and for just pittance in terms of public financing spending, right? right. And so that's answer number one. And a lot of people play around the edges. Well, maybe we should just do it at the national level. Maybe we should just do it here. No, 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 no. We should do it everywhere for every election so that we have real democracy everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then second part of it is you got to turn off the faucet. Uh, The faucet is corporate money. Right. So it's one thing when rich people used to give them all politicians and you could put set limits on it, yada, yada. It's another thing when corporations do. They have unlimited money. They mm-hmm. are the tsunami of money. Yeah. And corporations are robots. That's literally what they are. They're legal fictions that we have created mm-hmm. and we have programmed into their code. Do not give a fuck about anything but making an extra penny. Or if Absolutely. You can wipe out the planet as long as you make one extra penny. That's but, what it's designed to do. Yeah, yeah. And people think like, oh, no, you're being unfair. Wait, 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 wait. wait. But that's, it's literal. Yeah. I, I'm not saying they're evil. That's not. ridiculous. They're a machine. Yeah. They're, they're a machine we built. Of course, they're not evil. They're not immoral. They're amoral. Exactly. Yeah. Because we designed them to be amoral. Yeah. Like in some countries, they put it into the code of corporations that you have to care about your community. Mm-hmm. And they do that through, through, through certain legal mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? We did not do that. Right. We built merciless robots, yep. right? And in like a science fiction movie, those robots have taken over, mm-hmm. right? And once you they, they realize, oh, how am I going to make the most amount of money? By creating a great product? No, by killing off my competition. Of how course. do I kill off my competition? I go buy the government and the government kills it for me. Yep. It allows me to do uh, monopolies, oligopolies. It allows me to do endless mergers and crush my competition, etc. Right? It's very logical. If I ran a corporation and I didn't care about anything else, that's the first thing I would do. Best return on investment yet. I will also get the government to lower my taxes, mm-hmm. save billions upon billions of dollars. So... We built these things. So what I would do in the amendment and we what we propose is uh, co- uh, corporations have no constitutional rights. Right. Okay. Now, some people say, oh, that's a nuclear option. <laughs> By all means. Okay. <laughs> so 
Here's what I mean by that. Don't get confused. It's not like we kill corporations. It's not like we, they don't have any legal rights. Right. There's a reason why you need corporations, right? There are limited liability and you need limited liability, uh, those entities to exist. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason why they should have inalienable rights endowed by their creator. We're their creator, right? right. They don't need any constitutional rights. They should have just as many rights as we have agreed to give them. They are legal fictions created by the people, so they should have as many rights as the people decide. Right. They shouldn't have these constitutional rights. They get limited liability and certain protections and privileges already. On top of that, we've given them constitutional rights, so they have all of our rights plus all the rights of a corporation. So they have superhuman rights, Absolutely. which is insane. Why would we allow that? And the only people who think corporations are people are the elite in in Washington and New York, people like Mitt Romney who say corporations are people, my friend. I mean, go to any room anywhere in the country and you ask, is a corporation a human being? You will get no one who says they are. I saw a great button once that said, I'll believe that corporations are people when the day that Texas executes one. And I <laughs> yeah. thought it was beautiful. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, that works. But uh, yeah, because yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And also it's interesting how you say that at the internal level, there was the period that was more there was more of a demo- functioning democracy from the 40s to the 80s. Because yes, you're right, when you look at the international side, then you do see the United Fruit Company engineering, you know, cooing Guatemala in order to keep yep. their profits going and all of that kind of stuff. So internationally, they already had a huge power, but not quite as much within the country. So that's a v- really interesting dynamic, and that gets us into a different conversation. But I'll just touch on it real quick. Uh they had they could pull some levers of power with people who were unelected, right? So mm-hmm. the CIA people yep. have always thought there's a misconception about that. People think the CIA works for uh, America. It doesn't. It works for multinational corporations. That's right. who they represent. That's who they've always represented. Mm-hmm. So why why do the American people give a damn about uh, who sells bananas in Guatemala? No, we don't care. It doesn't affect the price of right. bananas at all. I mean, right? Yeah. So it only it affects who profits off mm-hmm. of the bananas in Guatemala or Honduras, et cetera, yeah. right? And so in the same thing with Iraq. People think, oh, you went to go steal the oil. No, we didn't. We The American people did not get that oil. No, exactly. No, we went in there to, to determine who gets the oil contracts, yep. right? Because the CIA and some of the establishment in the government work for those corporations, literally, because then there's a revolving door, and then they'll go work for them, literally, after they retire, yada, yada, right? So, but on a domestic level... They could not control our representatives, mm-hmm. right? And that's why for a golden period, and by the way, the Republicans agree, the golden period is what? 1950s and 60s. That's what they always say, right? Right. That's when we had tax rates that were, at the for the highest marginal rate, 91%, mm-hmm. right? That's when corporations paid uh, a lion's share of the taxes. And by the way, it didn't hurt the corporations. It didn't hurt business. Ah, still that is the bank. period in time when yep. America became number one in the world. Mm-hmm. We dominated economically. So it doesn't hurt economically. It's not going to cost you your jobs. That's what built this country and made it great because right. we had the right system. Now it has run amok. And when it runs amok, as it did in the late 1920s and as it did in 2008 and as it's going to do soon again, uh, when you have great income inequality, it leads to crashes, it leads to recessions, and it leads to depressions. And by the way, if we don't fix the system soon, we have a massive global depression headed straight for us. Right. And that's, yeah, and that's, yeah, I heard you mention that before about sort of a global financial meltdown on the horizon. 
are you stocking up shotguns and preparing for the walking yeah. dead or no. No? no what do you what do you see that being if kind of in the worst case scenario if it's not something that can be fixed soon if you're already in the woods with your can of tuna and your shotgun you've already lost <laughs> right okay yeah so i'm trying to make sure that we don't wind up in the woods right, right? so that's why I, we're working desperately and furiously mm-hmm. and effectively and efficiently to change the system before the collapse, right? right? So uh, the reason why the collapse is inevitable if we keep the system going as it is, is because if you tell executives at a corporation, you will make a tremendous amount of money in the short term uh, by taking tremendous risk. The more risk Mm -hmm. you take, the more money you make in the short term. And you don't own the corporation, right? So if the corporation goes south, uh, not, probably the taxpayers will pay. But even if the taxpayers don't pay, who cares? It's not your it's corporation. Not right. It's not private. You don't own it, right? The shareholders own it. That's yep. a public corporation. So there's a Achilles heel in cor- corporatism, right? Mm-hmm. In, and in corporations. Number one, they want to, as soon as a corporation is born, it wants to kill its parents. It's like the Oedipus right. complex, right? It wants to kill capitalism, kill competition, create a monopoly, right? Mm-hmm. The second problem is the executives within the company don't care about the company because it's not their company, right? Right. So what they care about is taking maximum risk for maximum return, okay? So once you have that system in place, a crash is inevitable. Absolutely. Inevitable. Just a quick analogy for anybody who's ever been to Vegas, right? You play blackjack. Now, if somebody said to you, okay, you got $100 uh, and uh, it's your money, Right, and you play with it, and you take whatever. What are you gonna do? You're gonna play reasonable. You're gonna hope to try to make ten bucks, twenty bucks, whatever it is. Sure. But you don't want to lose a hundred dollars, right? Because it's your money. Somebody comes to you and says, "It's not your money. It's a hundred dollars, and you make, you keep whatever you make, and whatever you lose, it doesn't matter. It's not your money. Right? What are you gonna do? You're ga- you're gonna gamble all one hundred dollars. You're gonna take as much risk as possible. Try to make it two hundred, three hundred, so you can keep the extra money. And if you lose it, who gives a shit? It's not it's your not money, yours, of course, right? Yep. So that's exactly what the system that we have built in corporate America. So these executives, and again, it's not irrational. Mm-hmm. I get why they do it. It's, I'm not even sure it's immoral. I think a good argument could be made that it's immoral, but it is a system that we built that they take advantage of, right? And they sit there and they go, what, what do you want me to do? Of course, I'm going to take tremendous risk. Well, because you're right, because in that sense, it removes the moral decisions from individual, because if the whole system is designed to have, again, it's not designed to be evil, it's designed to, it's designed in such a way that morality shouldn't enter it, period. It's not an issue of being good or bad. If I can make bank being a nice guy, I'll be a nice guy. If I can make bank not being a nice guy, doesn't matter nice or not. It's just not part of the structure that's designed so the individual players feel like hey i'm playing this game why should i play it any different from anybody else and shoot myself in the foot you know not only is that true but there's one extra layer to it too because if you don't play that game the same way then the board of directors says wait you have not maximized returns you're fired right so if you do not by hook or by crook maximize returns and oftentimes that means being shameless that means Mm -hmm. taking risks you shouldn't take etc well, then you're gone, and the robot, the Borg, will find someone else to pilot that ship. Absolutely, to play, which is kind of the same thing that where we started about media. If somebody's not gonna play the role of being the uh, actor figurehead that doesn't take a stand, that sort of pushes a stand, but always keeping this pretense of being neutral and all of it, you don't play the role. The next guy will, you know. So there's this. Uh, 
you are just uh, fit in a suit but the role is already predetermined your individuality means nothing you know you don't fit within that one we got somebody else who does and that's why what you are doing with both media and politics sort of rewriting the rules of the game because again you can't as an individual join in the game there's very limited things you can do since you're either shown the door and end up in the closet as we're saying mm-hmm. or thrown into the weekend or you know there's all of those things that happen inevitably if you're gonna do that's that. right and so you do have to rewrite the rules of the game from the outside this is usually the stumbling block that most people run into people who are smart they feel like okay, I realize that I can play this game. I realize that it would be a horrible way to sell out to play this game. How the hell do I rewrite the rules of the game? This is a whole other, you know, it requires a leap in creativity and ability to think on your feet that even the most brilliant people don't have. And not because they are stupid, because it's really freaking hard to start thinking, how do I completely change the entire game? Not how do I play the game differently, how do I change the game? Yeah, that's exactly what Barack Obama promised to do and then massively uh, uh, disappointed on. Absolutely. And that's what, on the other hand, that's what you are doing in two key areas. And that's why I think, like, if it's not clear enough to everybody listening, realizing that what you're talking about is really a game changer of monumental levels because what you are doing here is probably the only thing I've heard in a long time, the only project where somebody really has an actual shot at changing the way things are done. I mean, in media, you have already done it and you're going to continue doing it, but there's a proven record that has already happened. And in politics, you are. You are on the way too. So, hell, that's as exciting as it gets, man. This is like... (laughs) So, uh, you know, when we first set up our radio show back in 2002 in my living room, Mm -hmm. um, if you'd said at that time, this is going to turn into the largest online news network in the world, right? <laughs> uh, everybody would have said the same word, impossible, right? Right. Well, we're in the impossible business. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> so wolf-pack.com, you know, join the army, join the army, join the fight. How much did the crash help? Uh, no, I mean, was, it, was that a good moment for you guys just to sort of at least put the flag up and say, hey, yeah, there is another opinion out here. Yeah. We often say, we told you so, right? And and we don't do it out of pride. What we I what I always tell people is like, we literally do a segment called told you, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, and, and it's, I say, it's so that you know that next time I say something, I'm not bullshitting, right? And I'm not like one of those idiot TV pundits who are like, oh, yeah, like Chris Matthews said, Michelle Bachman was going to win uh, the primaries in 2012 come on dude come on how little do you know about politics right anyway so it like so the pundits are like pulling shit out of their ass like oh i don't know this is what i think this is what conventionalism Washington things no i look at so i do rational things like i look at the polls right and so i predicted that obama would win six weeks before the election even before the debates began then he uh, bombed the first debate and everybody's like haha you changed your mind i'm like no i didn't I can read a poll, and in Ohio, he's up by 10 points. You're not going to lose a 10-point lead in six weeks. You're just not going to do it. You could bomb all three debates, and you're still not going to lose that lead, right? right? So, I mean, look, we look for rational things. And so in terms of policy, the way that we are often correct is follow the money. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't take a genius. We're not that smart, right? You just know a couple of things. One thing you have to do is the the most important thing we did, as you were alluding to earlier, is 
you get step outside of your own perspective, right? Which is the hardest thing in the world to do. Once you step outside of your own perspective, then you can begin to see, oh, well, the game doesn't necessarily have to be played this way. Yes, it's been played this way though for a long, long time, but it turns out there is a different way that it can be right. played. And then the second thing is ruthlessly look at the facts. Don't get deluded by your dreams, your desires, or your fears, mm -hmm. right? But look at the facts. So if the polls indicate something, it's likely to be that way. If money is on one side of an issue, it is likely to go in that direction. It's not likely. It's almost certain. So, for example, I said we're going to win on gay rights. That's the one of the only things that the progressives are going to win on. Is it because the tide of history and blah, blah, blah? Look, that has a small role to play in it. But the major role is we have more money in gay rights. Not only are the Democratic donors uh, in favor of gay rights, but some of the hedge fund billionaires in New York are either gay or have people in their family who are gay. Right. So once the Republican donors flipped, it was over. Right. It was over. We were going to win, right? So just look at what determines policy. So back to the crash, we had been saying... Like here, if you look at logically, this is what's going to happen, right? So it's a kind of a proof of concept. Now, still, there are going to be the doubters, the haters, the non-believers, and, and they're going to be the majority, right? 96% of Americans think that money corrupts politics. 91% believe there's nothing you can do about it, okay? So, but we don't need 90% of the country. I mean, the suffragist movement was tiny in the beginning, and they told them... <laughs> You idiots. How are you going to get women the right to vote when they can't vote in the first place? Right. It's impossible, right? And a small group of women started that, and then it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and next thing you know, the impossible turned into the inevitable. Well, I'm very, very glad that you belong to that 5% between 91 and 96 <laughs> who sees things for what they are, but at the same time believes that there's a way around it and is actively working to make it happen. And I think in some ways, I don't know if that's part of sort of where you're thinking in terms of constitutional amendments, but technology could also help quite a bit. Because, I mean, a lot of our, a lot of the electoral process was designed before all our modern means. You know, back then, the only way for a candidate to appeal to the public was stage the big rallies, go on television once television was invented, do all of those things. Now with internet, literally you can plug a microphone into something, which if anything, it will give you a greater feel for who a person is. Because you can, you know, keep your soundbite going for when you're already on prim. When you're doing something like a podcast or a YouTube channel where you keep things loose and you're not just producing two minute segments, inevitably who you are is gonna show up at some point. Yep. And you can only keep up the pretense for so long. It's super cheap doesn't really cost much money to produce a simpler YouTube channel or to do a podcast. And and it gives a much, first it allows you to reach people and it allows them to see who you really are. To me, that's the way in which you're going to cut money out of the process. Like if we're looking to save money in the future, if it becomes an old uh, public financing kind of option, maybe it can be stirred to certain particular kind of media that would make it easier to get the whole job done for way cheaper than elections cost today, which is crazy. Yeah, it's entirely possible. That would be that would be something right there. Now, it, as far as ideology, I know that one of the terms that you use for how you define your politics is progressive. How... What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, if you can break it down, because, you know, one of the things that frustrates me in politics when it talks about religion, when it talks about any kind of ideological debate, is people throw certain terms and usually the person who's 
using that term has one meaning attached to it and the person who is hearing it and respond to it has a completely different interpretation of what that term means and we argue about shit that's not really the content is labels right. so I would love in that sense for you to sort of break down for listener when you say progressive which I'm sure it automatically will make some people say he's awesome and other people say fuck Jank he's a progressive I hate those guys what exactly do you mean uh, by progressive so Two parts to that answer. Uh, one is, what do I think is the core of being a progressive? And I think there's t- uh, two elements uh, to that core. Uh, one is equality of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of America is supposed to be uh, that you've got a fighting chance, right? And that it's land of opportunity, it's land of hope. Uh, I don't believe in equality of results. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in equality of opportunity. So I think the overwhelming majority of Americans would agree with me. But then when you go to actually give equality of opportunity, so for example, in education, you say, like my dad was an olive farmer, literally, in southeastern Turkey. And the only way that he we got to America is because in Turkey, if you scored in the top 15% of the national exams, you got a free college education, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you said to Americans now, all right, now let's do free college education for the kids who score at the top, right? No matter where they come from. Then the Republicans would say, no, it costs too much money. Ah." No, so then you don't believe in equality of opportunity. You don't want to give that kid in Logan, West Virginia a fair shot. You don't want to give the kid in the Bronx a fair shot. You don't want to give the kid in Wichita a fair shot because you care too much about keeping your own goddamn money, right? So that's why you're not a progressive, right? The second part of being a progressive is expanding liberty, Mm -hmm. right? So civil rights era expands liberty. Uh, the Civil War, it, by ending slavery, expanded liberty. So before it, it, we started with just propertyed white men and then became white men, right? Mm-hmm. And then you didn't need property. And then it became women and, and, and African-Americans, actually African-Americans first, then women, and now gay rights. This is the core of being a progressive, expanding liberty so that everybody has the same rights mm-hmm. and the same liberties. Again, Americans, you think, would be for liberty, and they generally are, but again, conservatives fight back. But the good news is that the conservatives on a macro level are the Washington generals of history, right? Those are the guys who used to play the Harlem Globetrotters, and their job was to lose, right? So their job is to try to stem the tide of progress. Right. Right. But that's a miserable losing job. And that's why they're they're huge failures throughout American history. They always lose, yeah. right? They they're the guys who wanted to stay with the monarchy. Right? They lost then. They lost during civil rights. They lost in every turn. And eventually they will lose again. Right now they are ascendant, right? But they will lose again because that's their role. Uh, so now the second part of the conversation is what's the difference between a progressive and a liberal? Well, Liberal is like Jesus Christ, right? Now, Jesus also had the sword and the great contradictions in the Bible, sure. yada, yada. But let's take the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, yeah. right? Uh, turn the other cheek. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's great. It's all lovely. Uh, uh, peace and and a rich man can't get into heaven and all that stuff, right? Uh, progressive uh, is a little bit more practical, um, not as good a person. <laughs> okay. Um, and and is interested in getting that progress one way or another, right? Right. So, for example, I as a progressive uh, would never turn the other cheek. Right. No, I'm that's not, I'm not in the business of turning the other cheeks. I'm in the business of looking for justice. Right. Okay. So Jesus is a better guy than I am. Not surprising. Okay. <laughs> a lot of he's a better guy than a lot of people if you believe in the fiction of Jesus. Sure. Right. <laughs> um, so 
on the other hand, there are times like Martin Luther King when you can have a perfect meld of a liberal and a progressive, mm-hmm. right? Martin Luther King Jr. says, turn the other cheek because that is going to get us better results. Absolutely. Right? Nonviolence is the correct way, moral high ground, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's he's as good a combination as you could have. But, uh, but I guess progressives are a little bit, like I said, more practical. Uh, and I might be being unfair to liberals there, but I, I keep saying over and over, they're better folks than we are. Mm-hmm. That's funny, actually. I dig that. That's a great answer right there. You want to jump into the... Um... Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I Network came on a couple nights ago. And mm-hmm. the, in the big moment when he's screaming and the windows are flying open, it's like, what happened? But the crash and the, and, the, and the disaster hadn't happened yet. When Network was made, don't think Reagan was president just yet or had just become president. So that's a message that was about 30 years early. But now here you are, mad as hell... Is it the story of the Young Turks, or is it you? Because I have not seen it. I just saw that it's coming yeah. and available. Oh, you guys should come to the November 6th premiere here in L.A. So that I'd love to see you guys there. Love so, to. Yes, uh, so it's finally coming. It had premiered, worldwide premiere in Toronto a couple of months back at the Hot Docs Film Festival and won an award there. And it's the story of both the Young Turks and my personal life. And it's the story of change and fighting for change and fighting the establishment and you like when one of the scenes you see the first uh, opening sequence i did for current tv when i said um our job is to punch the establishment in the mouth right and that's in essence the story and it, and my personal story is intertwined in that because that's my life story as i was telling you guys my dad's a farmer you know and uh, and then he gets this opportunity and he makes the best of it he brings us here and then he told us, like, if you work hard, you go to the right schools, et cetera, you can do anything. And he implanted that thought in our head that anything was possible and that we were capable of it, right? And so you see that throughout the movie, and then you see how we built the company and how it got larger and larger. So it's the whole story of the Young Turks. And uh, I've now seen it a couple times because of the premieres and stuff. And it's when you have a packed crowd and you watch that movie, it's a little electric, right? <laughs> So uh, I remember in Toronto, one of the screenings was with a, a local high school there. And uh, that was probably the best crowd. I mean, they were like seniors in high school. About a quarter of the crowd already knew the Young Turks, which is amazing. You know, random high school in Toronto. But but three quarters didn't. And then they came out of the movie electrified. They were like, yes, because they get some people are jaded and they look at the movie and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. <laughs> OK. But for people who believe uh, and see the results, it's not just blind belief. Right. As you said yeah. earlier, we, we've shown you results. Uh, it's it's a powerful movie. We didn't make the movie. It's made independently by Andrew Napier, who used to work with us and then said, can I stop working for you guys and shoot the internal stuff of what happened here? Nice. And uh, he's a great filmmaker. He's worked with Quentin Tarantino before. He's won an Oscar, etc. He's a young guy. He's done unbelievable accomplishments already. And so uh, he directed it. So there's a couple of scenes in there that I wouldn't have done that way. I feel a little embarrassed about. But that he's got to give you the full story, right? And then there's some scenes in there of what I'm saying in the midst of the MSNBC drama, right? Before I leave, yep. there's a meeting in the movie where you see me telling the crew what happened in that infamous meeting where I was told to act like the establishment. So way before. And I told Andrew, I said, do not put this out, okay? Like, But now that it's all settled, et cetera, you can see what happened in right. real time back then. Is there anything that really surprised you? Because I've done a lot of documentaries, and a lot of time you go in with this idea, we're going to get a picture of this, but it's always something off to the side that sort of 
comes into focus when you start to examine things. Is it something that really surprised you? Yeah, I mean, when we remember when he started shooting was years and years and years ago. So I had not gotten the MSNBC job at all. I didn't have the current job. I didn't have any of that stuff. It right. was just a small internet show, right? right? So the whole thing is surprising. <laughs> like you see it as throughout the movie, we're surprised. Like we're like, oh my god, we hit 250 million views. I remember we had a party and a scene from the in the movie has us at the party when we hit 300 million views. And we're like, could you, can you believe we right. had 300 million views? And then now we were over 2 billion, of course, right? And so the entire, like, it was a surprise unfolding in front of our eyes. Uh, we did not expect that any of this was going to happen as we were taping. Well, there it is. Be sure to check it out. It'll be available very shortly. Are you going to get some sort of release? Do you know yet? Or? So it, the website for the movie has all the details so okay. mattishellfilm.com mattishellfilm.com okay and what you can do is you can actually set up a screening in your hometown you they show you how to do it yeah and then if enough people sign up and it depends on the city or town then it tips over and says okay now your credit card will be charged now if it doesn't tip your credit card doesn't get charged right it tips over and then you have the screen. it's already tipped over in portland uh, L.A., New York, uh, a town outside of uh, Detroit, uh, and and a couple other places. So if it's already tipped over, then it's going to be in your local theater. Right. It's not like it's in some weird place. It's in your local theater, and they do a screening for you guys. So check that out. And if you're in L.A. or New York, you can come to the premieres where I will be and a lot of the uh, people in the movie and the, sh- and the show will be. I just want to mention real quickly, just because we had mentioned Robert McNamara earlier, if you have not seen Fog of War... It is must viewing as far as documentary yep. goes because that it will open it. your eyes to a million things. So, Great one. Jack, thank you so much, man. This is really a pleasure and an honor, I think. You are the man. Seriously. I knew, by the way, I mean, I watch your stuff. I love your stuff. I heard you on the podcast and all of that was great. The cherry on the cake there was when I was talking with Malcolm Flesher who arranged this and made it possible and he was saying, oh, give me some ideas about some of the possible topics you want to go into and we'll see you know, we'll see if it catch Jank uh, attention or not. And, uh, you know, I threw a few things and then I was like, but basically, you know, anything he wants from life, the universe to uh, lesbian stripper midget fights on Jerry Springer. <laughs> and Malcolm was like, don't bring up the lesbian midget stripper fight because he's going to never leave your studio if you jump in with that. <laughs> I was like, great, he's our guy. That I, we are good. I do have a long history of being very pro-lesbians. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Love the conversation. Young Turks. I, I'm a Young Turk, too. No, that's great. I, it, for all the times when you feel that you are powerless, you want to change things, and you don't know how to go about it, and you feel like, well, even if I help this one group, what can they do in the light of? There's some really good ideas here. This is really, if you can pull it off, this is the ultimate game changer that can seriously change history. It's, just not, it's, it's hope in the face of hopelessness, and I know that was somebody else's chant a ways back, but he let us down. These cats are really taking a nice approach to it, and and do go look at your constitution, man. The fifth the Fifth Amendment has it right in there. Uh huh. Um, they did have an emergency switch, and if we don't need it now, I don't know if we ever will. Oh, Jack is great. I like his attitude. I like his enthusiasm. The positivity. The the combination of realism and yet 
pushing forward and continuing figuring good strategies to make things work, not simply uh, muse in an intelligent way about the ruins, but instead figure out a way to fix it all. And wise enough to come on this show. Yeah, that's clearly his highest achievement, which I'm sure is going to put at the top of his... uh, you know, he's going to be on this business card. I was once on the Drunk and Taoist as a, as, as a guest. Well, on that note, a couple of quick thank you. First and foremost, let's go screw up some people's names with the list of the lovely people who donated to us this month. Here we go. Let the pottering begin. Chris Talent. I don't think I'm even screwing up your name. Talent sounds relatively easy enough, and so it's does Talente. Yeah, it could be, but... John Orlander, or Orlander, I don't know. Robert Blank from the Findorn Foundation in the UK. Uh, ooh, let me see how do I pronounce this one. I want to say Muyo Campara. Thank you so much. Giuliana Salmaso. Uh, lovely donation from our former guest, Kaike. From, I saw a donation from Kaike Jiu-Jitsu. I was just lovely that he came on as a guest and then sent us money that was like the sweetest thing in the universe wow so actually all past guests feel very ashamed yeah where's our check (laughs) no that was really sweet thank you so much Buell Collins John Hatfield Desmond Colton and Gordon Cinco thank you everybody Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, our affiliate sponsors, Coracao uh, Chocolate and Audible.com. So if you are in the market either for lovely sweets um, or for audio material that books, articles, audio files from way back when, there's so much stuff on Audible. So again, remember, if you need a- either of those, um, just use our episode notes. You get a discount. We get a cut. Everybody's happy. Uh, anything else? Well, of course, the, the usual thank you to Daisy House for the music, which is, I've got a lot of questions about it. People dig it. I I do, so that keeps me happy in that regard. And uh, where are we at with Kiva? Kiva's $16,000 in donations, you guys. We really um, do have a chance to reach 25000 by Christmas. I know it's only like eight weeks, but... A lot of loans are coming back in right now. I just got enough back to, you know, fund another one with money that came back around, which is really the amazing part about the story is that same $25 can roll every 18 months forever to help the next person in line. And as it is getting to be sort of that holiday season, if you have a shitty teenager that you want to open their eyes and show them that the world may be a little more difficult than they know, a $25 Kiva donation card enables them to do a first loan that they can get the money back if they want to, but finding out that somebody's more interested in getting some hens to uh, help their family eat might be the sort of push in the right direction that some of these confounded millennial children uh, could use a push. Absolutely. Oh, and I forgot, last but not least, among the people who have helped in a ton of ways, Mr. Ben Kovacs, thank you so much. You are super, super helpful. And more importantly, you're a hell of a human being, which is the number one prerequisite for anything else. Uh, On that note, I would dare to say, you guys have a wonderful day.
and so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo cazzo, in questo caso le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> This was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. Get back to work.